0: It's the second week of our Maxed Out series that we're doing here at Go Church. It's a three-part series on financial stewardship. Uh, so if you are visiting today, it's important for you to know we are going to talk about money. Come on, somebody say money on the count of three, one, two, three. We're going to talk about money, and I'm going to talk about it unapologetically because I really believe in my heart that too many people are living in a financial prison, and God wants us to live in financial freedom. Come on, give me a good Amen. It's early in the message, but that's good preaching. Too many people, they are in bondage financially, but God wants, listen to me, God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Come on, do you believe that? And so now what society has done, society has taught us that this maxed out life is the new normal, and that's not working. Normal, normal in today's culture is not working uh the new normal in 2019 coming quickly into 2020 is normal as living in houses that you can't afford come on Dri- driving a car that you are financially upside down in meaning you're making payments on an amount of money that the car's not even worth that amount the new normal is being suffocated by student loans the new normal is being drowned by credit card debt The new normal is not being able to to retire and not really even being able to dream about retirement, which, by the way, this is just me, but I don't think that retirement is an age. I think that retirement is a financial number. And society has got us so maxed out that we can't even dream about the possibility of retiring. The new normal is sleepless nights. The new normal is tension in marriages and relationships. The, The new normal is continuous Worrying and ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the new normal is it's just not working. It, it's not healthy, and it's not surprising to me that so many people are anxious and so many people wrestle with depression, and so many marriages continue to have conflict. Because, watch this this isn't on the screen, but I want you to write it down. Whenever you are maxed out, you'll always be stressed out. Come on, help me preach already. So that's what this series is about. I believe that God wants to show us some things in his word, some biblical values, and then just some practical teachings as well to help us be good stewards of our finances, good stewards of our resources. Now, before we get too far into week number two, I do want to remind you of a huge announcement that we made last Sunday. So if you were here last week, you remember this announcement. If you're, you're here for the first time in this series today or visiting with us, I want all of you to know about a great opportunity on Sunday, December the 8th. Watch this. We're doing our first ever legacy offering, our first ever legacy offering. Now, I know what some of you who are skeptical about church, and I know what some of you who are skeptical certainly about churches that talk about money, is now you're going to talk about money and take up an offering. Come on, what kind of church is this? I'm going to tell you. This offering is different than any other offering you've probably ever been a part of. And here's what's so unique. I'm asking for 100% participation, everybody to give, because we're going to give 100% of it away. Come on, can you give thanks to Jesus? For th- Come on, don't patty cake. God, this is huge. Come on, we're, we're talking, and, and I'm listen to me. I have no number in my heart. I'm just asking you, and I'll show you this in a minute, just to pray, to ask God to tell you the amount of money you need to give. But we're talking the possibility of hundreds of thousands of dollars that we're going to give away in 2020. Aren't you glad to be a part of a life-giving, generous church? Come on, so this is huge. So I'm asking every- Everybody in all of our environments, between our two campuses, everybody from the smallest to the tallest, come on now, everybody giving something, because if everybody does a little together, we can do a lot. There is no amount that's insignificant, and there's no amount that is too significant. Everybody giving something, 100% participation. Look at the person right next to you and say, he's talking to you. Come on, tell him, say he's talking to you. Now look at the other person and say, you look like you've got money. He's definitely talking to you. Come on, Tal. Everybody giving something because we're giving it all away. Come on, we're giving it all away. And I, I promise you, God is my witness, hand on this Bible. Every dollar that comes into the legacy offering, we're gonna give it all away. We're not keeping any for admin, for operations. We're gonna give it all away. Every single penny's going away. So, so, this is what we're calling it. We're calling it the legacy offering because, ladies and gentlemen, that's the type of life that I wanna live a life of a legacy, a legacy type of life. These are just a few of the, the lanes. That we'll be giving that legacy offering to from from local outreaches to world missions. Uh, this is a church that partners with great nonprofits already happening in our community, and then this is a church that's always had a heart for world missions. Every Sunday that you give, or whenever you give, because of technology you can give through the week, you know. But every time you give, you're funding missionaries around the globe, you're helping nonprofits and local outreaches. But we're going to make a big dent in that. We're going to support Christian education. There's some great Christian education institutions and universities that could use some additional resourcing financially. We're going to assist with food insecurity and, and medicine, including prescriptions for senior citizens that can't buy their own medication. Can we help them? Come on. And then also let, let's see if, if you all give generously, let's help some people pay off some medical debt. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. So we're going to give it all away. I said this last Sunday. I can't stay here too long because i got a lot to preach on today. But wherever there's a Go Church, wherever there's a Go Church campus, wherever Go Church exists, poverty should not. Come on, give me a good amen. That's the hands and feet of Jesus extended. Uh, one of the lanes is church planting. We believe that the local church is the hope of the world. So we're gonna we're gonna invest in a church planting, and then of course benevolence. Uh, the Bible reminds us of our responsibility to take care of the orphans and the widows, and we need to do that. So there are people in our communities that are homeless and hungry, and so let us just let's let's love on some people through this legacy offering. Now I'm asking you right now today. I'm only asking you to do three things, and it starts with prayer. As a matter of fact, and this isn't a part of my message, but the Lord just reminded me to tell you, you ought to pray before you commit to anything anything, take it to the Lord in prayer, including this offering. Again, I'm not asking, I'm not telling you an amount to give. I just want you to pray. Whatever God says to give, you give that amount. Okay. Just be obedient. Don't give out of obligation. Just give out of obedience. Faith leads to obedience. Obedience leads to abundance. Did you catch that? faith leads to obedience and obedience leads to abundance. So just pray, Lord, what's my part? That's a great prayer. What's my part? And then some of you are going to have to start to prepare your Christmas budget may look a little bit different depending on the response that you get from God. So I want you to begin to prepare. You got about a month left before we enter into the legacy offering. And then the third thing is participate again. Raise your hand if I'm asking you to participate. That's everybody, everybody. If they don't have their hand up, help them. Just pull their elbow, put it up in the air. Everybody, everybody participating, jumping in for the Legacy Offering on Sunday, December the 8th. I think this is a great place just to pause and to give Jesus some thanks. Come on, come on. Somebody just thank God for being a part of a church that's generous. I love it, and you're generous It's gonna be a great. It's going to be a, a supernatural, supernatural offering. And I can't wait to share some of those results at the turn of the new year. So let's jump into today's message. Today is going to be really practical uh, today. I'm going to share some, some thoughts with you that I believe, uh, let me say it like this, and you've heard me say this before. There are a few messages in your lifetime that you've heard or that you will hear that you could call an anchor message, an anchor message. An anchor message is a message that you heard and it changed the trajectory of your life forever. I don't say that about every message, but I think that today, especially in the area of finances, could be one of those those messages that could change your, your family, could change your marriage, could change your children, your children's children forever. So I want to give you the key thought for this whole series. Write it down. Even if you took notes last week, I'm encouraging everybody to write these thoughts down. And here's the thought, the key thought for the whole idea of Maxed Out is this. The way that you handle your money is one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. Let me say it again. The way that you handle your money is one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. Now, I wish I was smart enough to say that I came up with that thought, but I didn't. You know who did? Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he said that where your, somebody say treasure, treasure, where your treasure is, there your what? There your heart will be also. Let me say it to you like this. Show me your bank account and I'll tell you where Jesus is on your list of priorities. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, here's why. Because money and the way you handle that money is one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. Let me give you another verse here. Go to Proverbs 22, verse number seven. The Bible says this, the rich rule over the poor, and here it is, here here is what living maxed out looks like. And here's what living maxed out feels like. But the borrower, so the one who is in debt, watch, at 18% interest, hello? The one who's in debt at 20% interest, is now a slave to the lender. This word slave, the Hebrew word slave, is the word ebed, and it literally means to live in bondage. Uh, Let me tell you real fast. When I I bought my first vehicle ever, my first vehicle ever, I went to the Ford dealership. Kimberly remembers this truck because I I drove this truck in my college years. And I got me a a little red. Ford Ranger, a little stepside Ford Ranger. I was so excited to buy my first car, my first vehicle, but they were more excited to sell it to me. Come on now, and they, that you know what they asked. They, they didn't even. I didn't even. I didn't even care to know how much the vehicle was. I just cared. Can I afford the payment? It's dangerous, isn't it? And I drove that little Ford Ranger off the lot at a whopping twenty-four percent interest. Yeah. No, don't act that way. You've done dumb stuff with money too. Like, woo. Yeah, whatever. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Ebed, a life of financial bondage. Yeah, that's what living maxed out feels like, being suffocated by a car loan that we can't really afford. And I told you last Sunday, go back and listen if you missed it, that money is very tempting There's the temptation to serve money, and then there's the temptation to love money, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and here's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, that whoever loves money will never have enough. Listen to me, that's convicting right there. Whoever whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too, the Bible says, is meaningless. Now, we're going to kick off today, but I want you to know something, because this is important. Uh, because, and this is just the truth, God is not against wealth. God's not against you being prosperous. God's not against you climbing the, the corporate ladder. God is not against you being successful. God is not against you having a nice car. God is not against you living in a nice home. God is not against you wearing nice things. God is not against the idea of wealth. God is just against a dependence on wealth. Come on, give me a better amen than that. I mean, over and over again, if you look into the New Testament, you see that Jesus taught that a dependence on anything other than God was evil. God God doesn't want you not to pursue financial increase he just wants you to keep the main thing the main thing and to remember and help me preach for a moment that your hope and your confidence is not in your retirement plan your hope and your confidence is not in the stock market your hope and your confidence is in christ alone come on and give me a good amen right there so he says i'm not against wealth i'm just against a dependence on wealth let let me say it like this lean on god don't lean on money Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you go back to the Old Testament, you go into Exodus, you read about the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments says this, thou shalt have no other gods before me. You serve a jealous God. And if you're not careful, this love for wealth, this love for money, I talked about this last Sunday, this love for shiny new things can lure you in until all of a sudden now you're dependent upon the materialistic things and you stop being dependent on God. And this is a problem, and here's why. Because the greater independence money gives us, the less dependence on God we think we need. And we've seen it over and over again. Jesus talked about it, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into heaven. Why? Because somewhere as we start to taste success, we start to feel less dependent on God because now we feel like we've established ourselves in a way financially that, hey, we're okay. And at the end of the day, whatever your socioeconomic level is, you've gotta compare that to your spiritual level. Jesus always has to be the center. Are you with me today? Jesus always has to be the center. So again, today's gonna be really practical, but I'm gonna give you a lot of Bible too, because that's important. But I'm gonna start by sharing with you this rule the standard that once was the foundation of spending in this country. Now, the beauty of Go Church at both campuses, people come from all over the world, and so a lot of what I'm gonna tell you in the next few minutes has to do with American spending, American culture, American habits, uh, the problem with, with um, Americans and this kind of spirit of entitlement that, that we've fallen into this trap of. But years ago, there was this rule, And last Sunday, you remember, if you were here, we identified the three primary generations that are represented in our Go Church campuses. So you've got the millennials, you've got Generation X, and then you've got the baby boomers. Now, for those of you that are 60 years old or older, you're going to remember this rule. This was a rule that that you were brought up on. For those of you under the age of 60, some of you may have heard it, but for the majority of you, this is going to blow your mind. You've never thought of it this way and you've never heard of it this way. And I I wanna show it to you. Are you ready for the rule? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here it is. If you didn't have the money to buy what you wanted, you weren't allowed to buy it. By a show of hands, both campuses, how many remembered that rule? Yeah, now some of you are like, say what? The rest of us are going, this is, this is a crazy rule. What language are you speaking? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we, we don't live in this society any longer, do we? No, now, now we live in a buy now, pay later culture. But there was a time, so let me say it this way, maybe, maybe this will help you understand it if you're having a problem digesting this profoundness. If there was something that you wanted, but you couldn't afford it, you didn't get it. Did that help? But now you don't need money. Now you don't need cash. Now all you need is a credit card. Just, just swipe it and listen to me. Come on, lean in for just a second. Society is brainwashing our children. Society and culture is brainwashing our grandkids. Uh, many of you know this, I've got two kids of my own, and uh, my son, Lakeland, is nine, my daughter, London Grace, is four, and uh, they're still at the age where, where they, 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 they love technology, but they still like toys, like toys you can play with, toys. And my, my little girl, London, she's got this like supermarket checkout toy that you can scan fruits and vegetables, and each vegetable and fruit has a UPC barcode, and so when you scan it across this little grocery, checkout thing. It goes beep, beep, beep. And you can put it in the bag and she thinks it's the coolest thing. But at the end of it, guess how you have to pay for all of that? With a credit card. So at four years old, society is telling my little girl, you don't have to have real money to pay for it. Just swipe the card. And all of a sudden we've shifted from a society of, if you don't have cash for things, you don't get to buy it to, Hey, you don't need money. Just swipe it, buy now, pay later. As a matter of fact, on Thursday, I read an article from CNN Business that Americans now have a record, watch this, $14 trillion of debt. Now, the article doesn't tell us how great the economy is right now. And regardless of your political preference or affiliation, thanks be to God for an economy that's booming and working. Come on. Okay, so the, the, the article doesn't tell us that, that Americans are, are making more money than they've ever made, but the rule is still the rule, and they've broken the rule that we're buying things that we really can't afford to buy. Now, I don't want to bore you, but let me give you a quick history lesson. Because we, we moved away from this standard of living to where we are today, and it all happened in the late 1920s and the late 1930s. And that era of our society, the United States of America, experienced the Great Depression. The Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world. At the peak of the Great Depression, watch this, this is, this is mind-blowing to me. of all working Americans were unemployed. One fourth of the nation was jobless. So just compare that to what I read on Friday, the unemployment rate today is 3.6%. Could you imagine if a fourth of all of our country was, was unemployed? Now here's what's so historic about the Great Depression. Prior to the Great Depression, before the the Great Depression happened, and again, we're talking about the United States of America, only 2%, somebody say 2%, only 2% of all homes had a mortgage against them. So that means that people paid cash for what they wanted and what they needed, okay? Within four decades, so within just 40 years, which is a really short span of time, Then, in four decades, only 2% of all homes did not have a mortgage against them. What shifted? What changed? What took us away from the rule that if you couldn't afford it, you didn't get it until you could afford it, to, hey, we'll just buy it and figure it all out? I'm going to tell you, and I don't want this to be... uh, insulting to anybody, but if you are insulted, then, then well, part of the problem. We've become entitled. I deserve. <laughs> Let me tell you, can I be honest? What we deserve is death. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Come on and help me preach for a minute. From generation to generation, we, we have passed down this entitled mindset that I deserve. Entitlement is the condition of having a right to have, the condition of having a right to do, or the condition of having the right to get something, the feeling or the belief, the feeling. Do you see that? I I feel like, I feel like I deserve to be given something. This, This is special privileges. Like, well, well, because I walk the earth, I, I deserve a new car or because I, because I just breathe, I deserve a better home. And again, it's not that God is against nice things. It's not that God is against well, but watch this. It's one way. It's one way if you act like this and you're not a follower of Jesus, but it's something entirely different if you're acting this way and you are a follower of Jesus now here's the truth we live in a self-centered self-entitled narcissistic world that's where we live but to call yourself a christian and to act entitled is not godly and as a matter of fact let me let me show you if you are a follower of jesus we don't act entitled we recognize that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition here's what we know as christians our life is not our own Come on, give me an amen right there. Amen. That we should do nothing out of vain conceit, rather in humility, might say humility, amen. we value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interest, but to the interest of others. Amen. Listen to me. Do you know who wrestled with entitlement? Do you know who wrestled with selfish ambition and, and vain conceit and this narcissistic mentality? The devil, Lucifer, Satan, who was one of the angels in heaven, and then he felt entitled to be exalted on the same level as God. His pride, listen to me, his pride got in the way, and because his pride got in the way, he wrestled with entitlement. God kicked him out of heaven. So it's one way, it's one thing to act this way when you're not a believer, but when you're in right relationship with Jesus, we, we realize that we, we, we are not entitled to anything and watch this. And if God never does one more thing for us, he's already done enough. You know what? That's a great place just to pause and to give Jesus some thanks. Come on. Everybody okay today? All right. So here, let me give you this. Let me give you this thought. Let me give you three biblical values, three practical values Uh, These three values could be applied to any area of your life. So if you're tired of hearing me talk about money, just kind of Charlie Brown me, want, 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 want. But allow these principles to be applied to another area of your life. But we're going to use these three values in the area specifically of money because too many of us are living a maxed out life. Too many of us were living in this financial prison in bondage, and God wants you to be free. Whom the Son set free is free indeed. Come on. So here's the first one. I'm encouraging you and challenging you to embrace the value of self-control. Both campuses on three say self-control. One, two, three. If you're ever gonna get out of bondage financially, if you're ever gonna get out of debt, you're gonna have to start to practice the value of self-control. It starts here. You got me? Proverbs 25 says it like this, that a man without, there it is. Try to again. A man without what? And ladies, this is you too. Don't be like, yeah, it's a man thing. No, we all need to practice self-control, okay? Is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, don't miss the lesson here, especially the financial lesson. That if you are like a city without walls, then you're going to be defenseless to financial attacks. If you are like a city, you got no self-control, so you're a city without, without walls, you're going to be vulnerable to debt. Let me say it like this, and again, apply this to any area. Without self-control, you will always end up in trouble. Without self-control in your life, you will always end up in trouble. It's kind of like the kid at Walmart. Y'all know I was going to go to Walmart today, huh? You've been to Walmart before, and you're, do, you, you mind, you're minding your own business. And then off in the distance, you hear that kid with his mom or his parents on the toy aisle, in the toy section, throwing a temper tantrum. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You've, you've been, you've experienced, and in your mind, you think, if that were my kid. Come on, don't lie to me. You've said that. How many of you have said that? Raise your hand. It's church. It's confessional time. If that were my kid. I want the toy I want the toy give me the candy I want the candy I want I want I want I want let me tell you if that were my kid come on somebody um, but 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 I, I grew up in a different home a household you know today we grow up where there's time out. so parents today don't make me count to three little Johnny one Mississippi Johnny don't make me get to. Don't. don't. Two and a half, Mississippi. <laughs> Listen, when I was growing up, we did, not get, we did not get time out. We got beat down. Come on, somebody. <laughs> now, everybody watching online or you got your phones out recording this part of the gathering, don't take what I'm saying out of context. I'm not telling you to go home and beat your child, although that might help. But. My mama always told me that there was no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Come on now. <laughs> you know, like, so anyway, this kid is on the aisle. I want, I want, I want. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And what happens is, is that entitlement because parents give in. Okay, well, shh, shh, sh- shh, sh- shh, shh, No, ma- if this is my kid, make a scene. Come on, where are you at, parents? Oh, you want to make a scene? Oh, we going to go then. Make a scene, keep yelling like that. But parents, they give in. And what happens to little Johnny is Johnny becomes entitled. And Johnny thinks that all he has to do is whine, and he'll get what he wants. And then Johnny turns into an adolescent. And now your 11-year-old is demanding of you to get him or her an iPhone 11 for Christmas. And now little Johnny goes to college and you're required to pay for all of the textbooks and the dorm room and the food and all. I'm not saying don't help your kids, but if little Johnny would have done well in school, somebody else could have paid for all that. And then all of a sudden Johnny becomes a young adult and now it's not, I want a toy or I want a candy. It's, I want the new SUV. I want the new house. And all of a sudden there's, there's no self control at some point. Listen to me, let me get to the point I'm trying to make. We got to learn to say no on the count of three. Say no. One, two, three. I no. wasn't good enough, baby. One, two, three. No. Let's just be honest with each other. Can we do that for a minute? It's church, so figure it out. Ladies! Hallelujah! (laughs) I need every man to begin to intercede and pray right now. Do you just pray? I dare to go where no man has ever gone before. (laughs) Uh, Forget it, ladies. Just, Lord, love you. I'm just going to say one thing. Reluctantly, I'm going to say one thing. You do not need to get your hair done every month. Pick a color and just stick with it. I don't care what color it is, just pick one. All right? Come on, fellas. My God, help me. Like clap, bark, yell. Come on. You don't need your nails. Ladies, you don't need your nails did every other week. Them cuticles don't grow that fast. That's all I'm saying. It's, oh, God. I'm going to move on. Fellas! Do you do you think about this? Do you really need season tickets to watch your team lose? You can do that on TV. For come on, ladies, help me out now. Yeah, I thought so. Listen to me, everybody. Listen. Do you do you think about this? Do you really need a five-dollar cup of coffee every day? For what? You think that little cup impresses somebody? Got my Starbucks. My white venti mocha. Stirred, no whip, soy milk. Okay, Jenna, got it. Thank you. I don't even call it Starbucks anymore. I call it five bucks. Come on somebody, help me preach. Hey, at the end of the day, say what you want to, but coffee is coffee. And my father-in-law taught me that McDonald's coffee is better than Starbucks coffee. Come on now. <laughs> listen, and my father-in-law, he goes to McDonald's about every day and gets a cup of coffee. And at his age, they basically just give it to him. Come on now. They're like, hey, take your coffee. Pastor Allen, enjoy it. It's free for you. <laughs> Five bucks for coffee. Come on now. It's Christmas time. I'll, listen to me, parents and gran- grandparents. Do your children and grandchildren really need, really need, truly need the latest and greatest technology? But we we give in to that and all of a sudden now they grow up with no self-control. I'm going to say something and take it for what it's worth. You don't have to parent like we parent. We're working on our parental skills. Kimberly is far more graceful than I am. But I I grew up, oh man, I felt emotional. I grew up in a different type of upbringing. We didn't have much. We didn't have much. And my mom worked really, really hard for everything that we had. And I think I just learned to appreciate the value of stuff, you know, because when you don't. When you don't have much and you get something, you just appreciate it. But listen to me, but when you get everything and sometimes my kids will want something and I just tell them no, and there's no reason. They just haven't heard no lately. Hello? I just like, no. Well, why Because you haven't heard no lately? Go play. No. My little girl's like, but dad it's lunch. No. Today, thou shalt fast in thine Jesus' name. No, now London gets whatever she wants. Let's be honest. Come on. I think I've told you this before, but one day my son came home. He's like, Dad, I want a new pair of Jordans. You know what I did? I was like, so do I. I was like, dude, your foot grows too fast for Jordans. I said, let me introduce you to a 14-time NBA All-Star, Shaquille O'Neal. His shoes are at Walmart. And I said, buddy, I love you so much. You get two pairs of shacks. Come on now. Tell me your daddy ain't good to you. Who's your daddy? It's me. Listen, I'm not saying don't enjoy your life. I'm just saying this, and Dave Ramsey says it far better than I could. But if you can learn to say no, somebody say no. If you can learn to say no for a little while, then you can say yes to the rest of your life. But we've got to learn to practice self control. One more time on the count of three, both camps of self control. One, two, three. Here's the second one. We have to embrace the value of sacrifice. Again, we don't do this very well anymore. The standard of living before the Great Depression was all about sacrifice. That if, that if you wanted something, then you would sacrifice something else in order to get it. Now let, me make, let me make this practical. Uh, value. Let me lace that with some biblical truth. If there is a central theme of Christianity, it's the sacrificial theme. God sacrificed his son, Jesus, so that you and I could inherit eternal, everlasting life. That's the beauty of the gospel right there. As a matter of fact, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Jesus. And one day every knee shall bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. One translation says, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Watch. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What what was the joy of Jesus? Jesus. The joy of Jesus was doing the will of God. The joy of Jesus was knowing that through his sacrifice, watch, through his enduring of the cross, you and I could have direct access to God. Do you see that? So, so it was Jesus who said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And then he said, but... Not my will, your will be done. Because of the joy, he knew that through his sacrifice, through his innocent blood that would be shed on the cross at Calvary, you and I could have life forevermore. Anybody thankful for that? Yeah. Now, let me give you, so, so the central theme of Christianity is sacrificial, sacri- sacrificial Christianity. It's a sacrificial theme. It's what Jesus did. Let me give you a working definition. Uh, There was a situation last year at my son's school where I got to teach him the responsibility of sacrifice. I didn't make this definition up. As a matter of fact, if I could remember where I got it from, I'd give uh, the author credit. But here's just kind of a working definition of sacrifice. And we use this in our house a lot. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. So Jesus says, hey, if there's a way to get me out of this let's do that. But then he said, but what I love even more is knowing that sons and daughters could have eternal life. So sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something you love even more. I got to hurry here. Just hang in there. I'm I'm not almost done, but it sounded good. Watch this. Maybe you love TV. Okay. But have you seen the cost of cable? Come on, let's be honest. Every time you call the cable provider or internet provider, right? And you hang up. You know what they say when you hang up? Got them. That's what they say. They got, they got it. Because you pay for 200 channels, but you only watch three. Okay. So you love TV. You love Netflix. You love Hulu. You love Disney Plus now. Gotta have, gotta have Disney Plus. Got to have it. Okay. But what you watch. But what you love even more is a debt-free Christmas. What, what you love even more than cable is the idea of not having to pay Christmas off in May of 2020. So you sacrifice Hulu, you sacrifice Disney+, Plus, you sacrifice DirecTV or, or whatever provider that you have for a couple of months so that you can save up enough money to pay off Christmas and not have the stress of being maxed out after Christmas. That, ladies and gentlemen, is sacrifice. Watch this. Sacrifice is this. You want a new car. You want a dream car. Hey, that's me. I I got my dream car. Like in my head, hello. In my heart. Sometimes I just close my eyes and like, oh, this is me in my dream car. And then I look down and it's a 2013 Kia right now. Come on, somebody. But she's paid off. So watch this. I got a dream car. There's a little folder on my laptop that says dream car, and there's just pictures. I got my own, like, Pinterest board of my dream car one day. But what we love, watch. I'm going to show you. But what we love even more is that my wife gets to stay home with our kids right now. So I'm going to sacrifice what I love for something I love even more. I want the dream car. I love it. But we also see the value of putting our kids in Christian private school. So that, hello, that is a sacrifice because I've I've told my kids before, you know, I love you because I could be driving in my dream car. Instead, I'm dropping you off at this school. You better learn, you better learn something today. Come on, parents, where are you at? I said, I promised before God in heaven. If I ask you at the end of the day, what have you learned? And you say nothing. The earrings coming off, take my weave out. We want our, my son came home a couple months ago. He quoted all of Hebrews chapter 12. The kid knows more Bible than I know. Why? Because we've given up something that we love for something we love even more. When, when I was in college, uh, I loved the idea of living alone. As a matter of fact, I lived alone for a short season cause I, cause I needed my space. But then I realized what I, what I love even more is paying off some student debt so I took in some roommates, I did. I took in three roommates that turned into four roommates that turned into five roommates. At one time, I had five roommates, no joke. And I also realized that we, I don't have a TV, I don't have a couch. So, so I, I got a TV in the couch and I, <coughs> and I charged all of my roommates. The overall amount of the TV, I put it into their monthly rent. And then when Kimberly and I got married, we had a TV and the couch. Listen to me. I don't know if any of my roommates will ever see this, but I just want to tell you, got them. Got them. I love the idea of paying off student loans. So I took in roommates to help me pay down college debt. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know you love food. I know you love food. But you eat out at lunch every day, a $7, $8 sandwich with $1.50 sweet tea. Thank God for sweet tea. Let's not get too far in the flesh. Come on now. But every day is $10 for lunch. But what you love even more is paying off that car. So you'd sacrifice and you say, you know what? Instead of eating at my favorite fast food restaurant, I'm going to meal prep. I'm going to give up something that I love for something I love even more. Here's the question. I got to move on. Are you willing to give up something you love for something you love even, even more? Ah, I wish I had time. Uh, Let me try. Imagine you had four. I got to do this so fast. You got to take pictures. Imagine you had $14,517 in debt. Okay, this is kind of the average amount of consumer debt in America. Imagine the payment on that was $217.93, just a monthly payment. You're trying to pay out of debt. They're charging you 18% interest. Everybody following along? It's gonna take you 40 years to pay off $14,517 at that interest rate, just paying the minimum monthly payment. At the end of 40 years, you would have paid, on the $14,517, you're actually gonna pay almost $105,000. How'd you get the $14,517? You went to Disney when you couldn't afford it. You bought a plasma, because it was Black Friday and it was a good deal. I deserve a TV. You went to lunch every day, didn't have the money, you just put it on your card, I'll pay it later. Let me tell you, getting $14,517 in debt is easy. Easy. But watch this. Imagine, so this is the debt, okay? It can take you 40 years. And if you are a millennial, you listen to what I'm saying. Listen to me. And you remember me when you get rich. Watch this. Imagine you invested $14,517 and you just got a return of 12%. In 40 years, you're going to make $1.3 million. You see that? Now watch this. Imagine you had $14,517 to invest, not debt, and you added to that every month just that minimum payment that you were paying at 12% 40 years, $3.5 million. Do you see that? The point is this. If you'll just sacrifice now, man, if you say no now, you can say yes forever. Here's the third one. Embrace the value of planning. Somebody say planning. you I got to move really quick. Luke 14, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a house, buy a car, get a beach home, buy a horse farm, build a tower, whatever. The Bible says, won't you first sit down and plan? Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see what, if I got enough money to do it? This is the old principle, the old rule. Proverbs 21 says it this way, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Write this thought down. You can, watch, you can wander your way into debt, but you will never, oh, well, I guess I'll just get out of this. Oh, I guess I'll just, I'm out of debt. It doesn't work that way you gotta make a plan. So I'm gonna give you three of the most basic, practical action steps you need to do to help you start your plan. You can visit financialpeaceuniversity.com, fpu.com for more information on this, because two of the three are straight from Dave Ramsey's teaching. Number one is this, you need to start using a zero-based budget. I don't have a lot of time to go into budget planning. Go to FPU, we'll offer an FPU class next small group semester. Okay, we're gonna do this for you. You got to create a budget. A budget is telling your money where it's going instead of your money telling you where it's going. You got to create a budget. And a zero-based budget means every dollar you make has a name to it. Because if you don't give every dollar a name, it'll go somewhere that it's not supposed to go. So here's the website, everydollar.com. Many of you already use that website to budget. Go to everydollar.com today and begin the process of getting on a zero-based budget. Number two is this. You gotta get $1,000 in an emergency fund. Too many of us, we don't have an emergency fund, and then when the hot water heater breaks, when the alternator goes out, uh, when something financially catastrophic happens, we're just like, oh no, get $1,000. How do you get the $1,000? I don't know. You have to figure it out. Have a yard sale, Craigslist, eBay. Sell everything until the kids get nervous. Come on, somebody. Well, they're looking around thinking, my God, am I next? Get you a thousand. You got to do this as fast as you can. Put that thousand dollars somewhere safe in case of an emergency. And here's what I've learned. Whenever you have an emergency fund, you hardly ever have an emergency. It's just a peace of mind. Write this last thought down. I'm going to give you the third action step. The fastest way to get out of debt is to give your way out of debt. Now, I can't fully explain how God's economy works. But what I can tell you, Matthew 6 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else shall be added unto it. Listen, and I need a couple hundred people at both campuses who can testify to this truth. When you put God first... When you put God first, he takes care of everything else. Come on, if that's you. So I know that many of you are skeptical, but I'm telling you that when you put God first and you give, give your way out of debt, that's how you get out of debt. So here's the third action step. Climb the giving ladder. And here it is in real time, okay? It's five steps right here. Five steps on the giving ladder. Some of you have never given to God financially. Hear me. I'm not asking you to give to us financially. I'm asking you to give to God through your church. If you've never given to God, then take the first step and become a first-time giver. Just, just give to God. If you've given to God, but you've not been consistent with it, then move up to where I, I, don't, give, I don't give the tithe, but I, I give, you know, Occasionally, if this is you, where you're just an occasional giver, just take one step and move to in- intentionality. This is this, I'm not giving 10%, which is the minimum according to scripture, but listen to me, lean in for a second. Can you give 1%? Can you start with 2%? I'm not asking you to, to start giving 10% and then your lights get shut off. I'm just asking you, can you be faithful somewhere with something consistently? And then watch, as God blesses that, then you can move to tithing. Where, hey, now I'm giving 10% of my income to God. I'm putting God first. And I'm, listen to me, and not just me, but to those around you. This works every time. Every time. And then, one day, just take a a step. Come on, just take a step. In In Malachi, the Bible says, God says, try me in this. Test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven. Watch. This is supernatural stuff. I can't explain it. But we started taking steps. We've got out of debt. And now Kimberly and I are trying to work on this rung. How can I be an extravagant giver, giving above the 10%? I want to get to a point in my life where I'm giving more to the kingdom of God than I'm giving to my Roth IRA. That's where I want to get. Because Jesus gave his all. Let's get here. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Both campuses. It's a final question. What's your next step? The worship team is coming. Both campuses, the campus pastors, they're coming to transition. What is your next step? 30 seconds to consider that. What is your next step?